and welcome to another installment of Banker with a Beer presented by Northwestern Bank. Scott Montesano here across the way. Jerry Keel as always. Jerry, how's it going? Going great today, Scott. Well, we've got a, a fun guest, a little bit different as far as uh, our guest here today. This will be fun, but we also have a very familiar beverage. Well, first we'll talk about our guest. Uh, we are privileged today to have Dr. Bill Klish privileged. with us today. Yes, uh, and you know, this is going to be a little bit different angle for Banker and a Beer, but I think that the, what I want to show is just kind of the, the wonderful people and the very accomplished people that we have in our community. And I'm going to kind of just give the background of Dr. Klish a bit. And then, uh, Scott, I'll let you bring him on board, and I will pour our beverage. And our beverage today, at Dr. Klish's request, is Guinness Draft Stout, one of my favorites, uh, Pride of Ireland. Uh, if you're ever on the, the Green Island, you're going to be having at least East, uh, a Guinness or probably a Murphy's if you're down by Cork, but it's yeah. a great <laughs> beverage. So... Uh, Dr. Klish is Professor Emeritus of Pediatrics, Gastroenterology, and Hepatology and Nutrition at Baylor College of Medicine. Uh, Dr. Klish was educated at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire and UW-Madison. He is the past president of the North American Society for Pediatric Gastroenterology and Nutrition. He currently directs the Obesity Center at the Children's uh, Texas Children's Hospital that he developed. I did, he until did. I retired. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Klish is credited with having developed pediatric gastroenterology as a field and has won numerous awards for his work. Uh, he is the first person to be credited in pediatric gastroenterology by the American Board of Pediatrics. And Dr. Klish played a role in the popular documentary Supersize Me, created by Morgan Spurlock monitoring Spurlock's health as he binged on fast food. So Dr. Klish is probably, I would say, I don't know if the country or world's expert in um, youth obesity, and it's a huge crisis and uh, something I wanted to talk about. I know Dr. Klish is on in the Rotary Club with me in Eau Claire, and uh, that's how we've got to met. So meet. So I'm going to start with the beverages. And Scott, you want to bring Dr. Klish on board? Well, absolutely. It, it's By the way, it's not too many times in which one of our guests has their own Wikipedia page. Uh, <laughs> Is that where you got that from? I did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Out, outstanding. But uh, yeah, T tell us a little bit about how you got to where, where you are there. And I think it's very cool as, as we heard all this stuff and, and world-renowned and all that sort of thing there. I know you're humble, <laughs> but uh, educated right down the road at UW-Eau Claire and, and all that good stuff. It is, uh, I think people are kind of surprised that sometimes the people walking down the street, what they've done in their life and what they continue to accomplish. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, actually, I owe a lot of this, uh, my career, to University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. I, you know, I started there and I majored in basketball and party and I'm not sure which was first <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and, and luckily for me uh, not for coach Bill Zorn who was my coach I hurt my uh, my knee badly in my junior year so I had to stop playing basketball and my my wife-to-be had moved back to Eau Claire from from Northwestern in Chicago and she uh uh, started working at what was then Luther Hospital, is now Mayo. And so I guess to chase her, <laughs> I got a job at Mayo as a uh, orderly. Up until that time, I was a chemistry major and, you know, and not really all that excited about chemistry, but I did okay. But uh, 
when I got to be an orderly and saw medicine in action, I decided to change my major and go into medicine. And there was a physician at, uh, or a professor at uh, Eau Claire that I owe everything to. His name was Arnold Bockett. He was the head of biology at the time. And he was the one, because my grades are so were kind of crappy my first three years. He went to bat for me, went to Wisconsin and got me into medical school at the University of Wisconsin in medicine, in Madison. And, you know, it was all serendipitous, you know, that I, that I got into this. Now, how did I get into nutrition? Well, I went to Baylor College of Medicine to do my internship and, and residency. And while there, I uh, met who, a guy who was going to be my mentor, uh, a guy by the name of Buford Nichols, who was, the, was sort of trying to start a GI division there, but he wasn't uh, doing very well, and he recruited me. And as my first job as, uh, as a fellow under him, he sent me to Mexico, and I spent... Uh, a bunch of time in Mexico doing research on malnourished children. And I think that's what sort of got me going. I had already in medical school gone to Columbia on the ship Hope, but uh, I was uh, it was that trip to Mexico that sent me on my way. And I you know, always said that I supported myself with gastroenterology, but all my fun was with nutrition. It's gotten me all over the world, uh, you know, both giving lectures and doing research, and it was just a great life. I well, 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 there you go. There's a great segue. Nutrition. Nothing more nutritious yeah, than, than a Guinness, than right? a beer, yes. I guess. What, what, do you, what do you say there, Jerry? Clink them and drink them. Clink them yeah. and drink them. I don't know. With my background, I have to say Nazdovia. That was <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the box says smooth and creamy. A good quaff. It is. It's good. I love Guinness. <laughs> Excellent. Well, so we can go this, a lot of different directions. I'm going to just start off a little bit, though, about your passion for nutrition and especially with childhood obesity. And I know it's gone beyond, just, it's more than just your knowledge of this field, but what you've done to actually try to combat it. And even developing a camp here um, north of Eau Claire uh, to meet this. So give us a little background of first why uh, this became such a passion for you and, and what you were doing about it. Well, it, after I became faculty, uh, in which in, in, I was initially faculty at Baylor, and then I went and was faculty at the University of Rochester in Rochester, New York, and then came back to Baylor to head up the GI division. That was in 83 when I came back. And I started noticing that we were seeing more and more obese patients at that time. There's been obesity's been around forever, but uh, it uh, it looked like it was getting to be a little more frequent. Well, in the '90s, everybody noticed it, and uh, it was it, it finally was was broad or the one you know people started thinking of it as an epidemic. Because the prevalence of obesity in adults was increasing by one and a half percent per year throughout the 90s. Um, it was because of that, and I, you know, and the fact that 
children were getting progressively obese that I decided that I was about getting close to retirement, so I decided to do something a little bit different as I was retiring, and I opened up an obesity clinic for children. The uh, reason, uh, uh, or during that clinic, I not only treated patients with obesity, and I had a whole staff of psychologists and therapists and you know dietitians and such, but we also did research continuously in the in the sense that if there was a new treatment that uh, that came about that people were advertising we tested it and we wanted to see if it really worked interestingly enough you mentioned the uh, uh, the obesity camp that I started here I started it in Houston originally or outside of Houston on the lake and it was amazingly successful uh, and when I moved to Eau Claire, I decided, what the heck, I might as well export it here. And I sort of gave it to the to the Mayo Clinic folks to, you know, set it up with the YMCA out at, I guess it's in Long Lake. But it was interesting that it was so successful. And I, uh, I am pretty sure that the reason it was successful, because the camp had nothing but obese children in it. So... You couldn't get into it unless you were obese, so it made these kids kind of comfortable with their with themselves and their body, and it made them more willing to do the things that that were required to lose weight, and they did lose a lot of weight. The camp was only two weeks of, of two weeks, but at the end of two weeks, they would all have lost uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of ten to fifteen pounds. But we followed them for after that, and over the next year, they continued to lose weight from what they learned in in the camp. So I, you know, felt pretty good about that, and uh, it sort of uh, made me comfortable, I guess, in treating obesity. Most doctors are not because they, uh, it's a tough disease. It's tough to uh, get people to give up food and exercise more, you know, et cetera. But for me, I was getting some success. So I was really in, in, involved in it and very excited about it. What's the clinical definition? You say obesity. What, what, what defines someone or, or being, being obese? obese? Correct. Well, there, the definitions that, that's used nationally for, is, is called what's a, a, a body mass index. And a body mass index is a just a mathematical construct where you take the person's weight, and originally it was in kilograms, and divide it by the weight, which was originally in meters squared, and it gives you a number. And in adults, this number is a finite number, and anybody from uh, between uh, 18 to 20 Five, uh, eight, 18 to 25 is considered to be normal. 25 to 30 is considered to be overweight, and over 30 is considered to be uh, obese. Yeah, Children yeah, are a little yeah, bit more complicated. Yeah, 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 I'm just overweight. I'm not obese. <laughs> yeah, you, you know your BMI? I just had it done, 27. Fantastic. You, you know, that's the other thing. People, sh everybody should know what their BMI is because it does, it because... So many people are overweight now. It's hard to decide whether your weight is overweight or not because 
so many people look like uh, you know that so many people are overweight. Well, let's get back to the camp for a second. You said that that, that you had great success in the the kids not only losing weight for those two weeks, but then afterwards. What changes? What happens? What do they learn? They granted they're in an environment where they see others who are who are like them, but then they go back out in the world where they necessarily aren't, but they continue having success. Why is that? Well, the camp is based, and our, our therapy was based on what's called behavior modification. Uh, there, there really, at that time, were no drugs. There still aren't really any good drugs to treat obesity, even though there's some in the pipeline that are being tested. Uh, but what we did in those two weeks is taught children how to eat a little, a slightly different uh, way without them becoming, you know, hungry. And, and But the more important thing, I think, is that uh, we also taught them to be active and, and to have fun with activity. And to me, even though a lot of experts argue what the cause of this obesity epidemic was, to me, it is probably less to do with what you eat and more to do with the fact that we've become kind of a, uh, you know, sedentary sedentary uh, population. The, uh, you know, I, I talk to the college students, I give lectures at the university, uh, and I, you know, that's one of the things I point out, that when I was at the university, if I had to write a paper or, you know, do any kind of research, I had to walk to the library now you just have to take your laptop and click on it, and you've got all the information that you want, just like all that stuff you got about me. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, we all have a genetic predisposition to obesity, and that's because the genes for obesity, and there are now probably maybe 200 of them that, that are permissive as far as gaining weight are concerned. But those genes, when we were developing as um, as humans or as mankind, uh, uh, were uh, uh, you know were helpful to us because they were uh, you know if when food became scarce, those that had the genes would put on more fat and therefore be able to survive during during periods of scarcity. Um, and so they were selected for. And as a result, we have, you know, all these genes in our genome. But it only represents the ability to gain weight, but you still have to have these other elements, uh, you know, of uh, food and lack of exercise. So you were talking about, you know, obviously, um, we have this genetic disposition to, to, to gain weight and how lack of exercise or movement is certainly a part of it. But you were involved in this the movie, uh, <laughs> Supersize Me, which I saw, which was actually borderline disgusting, but still, <laughs> it was, but highly entertaining at the same time. Yeah, Morgan Spurlock is quite a guy. So, so, we laughed almost all the time. We were he was interviewing me for the, or the, we were filming for the movie, <laughs> and I only got in the movie. I just had a cameo role uh, they sh uh, I, they showed my picture a couple times and you know had me you know tell them what they were doing <laughs> so so, so uh, but what role at least in, in this movie especially for those who aren't familiar with it what did you find a role that our current diet especially the fast food diet plays in obesity 
Well, I have mixed feelings about that. Again, many people disagree with me. Uh, yeah, we have fast foods. It's not the it's it's not the fact that we have these fast foods that are particularly bad because there's no food that's really bad. Food is food. It's how you use those foods. And when you know, with the whole concept of fast food has made food available, nice, delicious food available to us almost 24 hours a day. I mean, we not only can go to the drive-thru and buy the, get this food, but we can pop things into our microwave all night long and, and eat. And that is very different. And we didn't have that in the 50s and 60s and, and 70s. You ate your meals, and that was probably it. You had a few snacks, but it was work to get your snacks. Well, you also remember, and I'm going to sound like one of the, uh, the old-timers now, but riding my bike to school every day, riding it back, uh, sometimes riding it uh, for lunch coming home. Uh, you know, whenever you were constantly in motion, you know, that's right. And and then at, then you you'd be up for sports, you know. And so I'd go out, be on track or cross country. I'd run five miles, I'd go hop my bike and ride home, you know. And so there, you didn't have really much of an opportunity to really be sedentary, and that was just the expectation. But you know, now it's it's different. I mean, um, clearly, I mean, and for lots of reasons. I know safety being one of them, but. Uh, I, I'm always uh, amazed uh, at, you know, I, I live in Chippewa Falls amongst the the high schools and the middle school and how few kids, they don't walk, they don't bike. I mean, we used to have acres of bicycles. <laughs> there are no bicycles anymore. Or maybe there's a handful and most everyone either gets a, a ride or, you know, has the bus. And once you get old enough, you know, heck, you don't want to be seen in the bus. You're going to drive your own car. And so I think this all kind of plays into this fact that, uh it just doesn't take a lot of effort for us to live our lives. Yeah. Well, I, you're, you're hitting a nail right on the head when you talk about that. Uh, sure. When, you know, in the, in before 19, I don't know, 75 or 80, whenever computers were invented, uh, if you, if a child wanted to do, you know, uh, go play, he had to do it with his feet or his bicycle, you know, to go out. Now he can just sit around and play on his laptop or play on his phone or do don't, a, don't, don't point at my equipment like yeah, that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, luckily this isn't being filmed because I keep pointing <laughs> to his laptop. So, so yeah, that, sedent, that sedentary behavior was kind of created i think by our electronic age as we entered this electronic age the um you know the interesting thing about all of this too is that it's children that i think were have been affected the most by by electronics because they get their get they get wrapped up in their video games and their telephones and such but the root of adult obesity is definitely in children. You know, if you, you know, ch the prevalence of, uh, of childhood obesity or obesity at about age 18 is somewhere in the range now, I think, of between 18 and 20 percent. It went up considerably, went up about 3 or 3 percent during this COVID epidemic. That's uh, one of my questions. I mean, yeah. I, I was wondering what the impact COVID had on, yeah. I mean, your studies and things. And I think as we're 
not getting out were being even probably more sedentary, uh, it only had to exasperate the problem. It, it, it did. It definitely did. And it probably exacerbated it in two different ways. Uh, you know, I think COVID is very intertwined with obesity in the sense that it causes more obesity by through the sedentary behavior. But also, if you're obese and you catch COVID, you're much more likely to get sick, get hospitalized, have very bad uh, you know, symptoms, because obesity is not just a benign uh, um, sort of cosmetic issue that happens to people. It's truly a disease, you know, and it has all these diseases associated with it. We got about 10 minutes left here, and I, and I wanted to bring this up because I'm finding this absolutely fascinating. A uh, little bit of a different episode we have here this week. Because a lot of times we talk some local stuff, but this obviously impacts local and impacts uh, the world. See, I find this fascinating because I was, I was very much obese as a kid growing up. I was 235 pounds by the time I was 13 years of age and got up to 250 and played baseball growing up and was good. I could have been a lot better if I was about 80 pounds lighter. But I always had this, this love-hate relationship with food, and you're being told you're you're fat, and you're being told to to die. Stop then, eating. Then, then 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 you felt like you were you then you didn't like that. Then I lost a bunch of weight when I was in college because the gym was closer than the cafeteria, and to be honest with you, there was there was pretty girls at the gym, so <laughs> lost a bunch of weight. And then in adulthood, I kind of went up again, and then in the last three years, I've lost thirty more. I've lost thirty pounds. Again, and I go back to to this, and the thing that kind of changed me, and something you said before is is there really isn't bad food. You just have to have a relationship mm-hmm. with food. There, you know, it's something we're telling our kids, our our son and our daughter, that we'll give them cookies. We'll we'll give them, you know, I'm Italian. There's pasta in the house, and all of that. But you have to have your fruits and your veggies, and you know, it, it's amazing the difference you can make. You know, for every one soda, you know, for, if you used to drink 10 sodas in a week, if you only have one soda and nine waters, the difference that made. I know I know the difference that made for me. It's, it's those little things that when you start thinking you're depriving yourself of something, you feel like you're punishing yourself. It's, there's a whole psychology behind it. Exactly. Uh, weight loss is very psychological, as you probably recognize when you're doing it. It's hard. It's hard work to lose weight. Well, you, you lose a lot of weight early, and then you're going to kind of hit a floor there. Yeah. And that may be that may be your, your weight there, but you got to make sure you don't, you don't say, well, the heck with this and start going back. I'm going to eat the whole pizza myself. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> you know, it's, it, well, just as a comment, uh, I don't, it's interesting that the human body eats to maintain its weight. So as the weight goes up, the body is sending signals. You have to eat to maintain that. And uh, so it's hard to make it go the other direction. All the hormones that are circulating that are related to appetite and such are raging. And, and it makes it very hard, both physically and psychologically, to, uh, to lose weight. Well, then what does work to prevent obesity? Well, to prevent well, to prevent obesity, there's a few things that can happen. Uh, first, new new mothers have to recognize that stuffing their kids full of food is and making them chubby is not uh, is not a picture of health. It's actually the opposite of that, and. 
if if you look at the data, there I think new mothers are finally, finally starting to recognize that because the prevalence of obesity in that uh, that uh, zero or toddler age group uh, was going up dramatically, just like the adult obesity was. And about oh, maybe 10 years ago, it started tapering. You know, and that tells me that somebody out there is getting the message and they're starting to watch what their kids eat. So that's number one. You don't let your kids start that direction because once they go in that direction, it becomes harder and harder to stop it. And you end up getting more and more heavy as a, as a child. Second thing is activity. You know, yes, computers and cell phones and all these electronic gadgets are great. I mean, from an educational point of view, but they're lousy in terms of activity point of view. And so limiting the amount of time that a child can spend in front of a screen, I think is very, very important for parents to uh, you know understand that they just, you know, shouldn't be doing that, even though I think some parents look at screen time as a way of getting away from their kids, <laughs> and they might do it deliberately. <laughs> yeah, And I guess the third thing is what, what, what you just said, is that a, a mixed diet, you, you don't just live on, uh, you know, potatoes and gravy and meat alone, you need to have vegetables and fruits and things added in there. And those are the three hallmarks of, uh, of proper dieting and proper weight control. We're talking with Dr. William Clish. He's an expert in child obesity and enjoying a Guinness Stout. So uh, <laughs> we're getting closer to a time. This is going really well, so I really appreciate you being here. A couple of quick questions before things uh, wrap up here totally but how does wisconsin the chippewa valley kind of compare with the rest of, na of the nation in lousy obesity statistics lousy, lousy. uh there were it, i think it was two years ago three years ago the university did a study on all the counties in the state of wisconsin eau claire county has in in adults this is for adults eau claire the prevalence of obesity in adults depending on the age group was all around and this is obesity, not overweight. This is obesity greater than 30 BMI, was around 45 to 47% in our county. Now, nationally, when you look at it, the rate of obesity, even though it continues to go up, is probably in the mid-30s rather than the mid-40s. So Wisconsin's not doing too well. Is there hope? Oh, I there's always there's got to be hope. <laughs> you can't you can't just give up on this. The problem is that this epidemic came along, and I think it's taken the spotlight off of the obesity epidemic because it's become the headline now, and so people aren't thinking as much about their dietary habits, about their exercise, about how they feed their kids, etc. They're more concerned about vaccines and. To keeping masks on and things of that nature. But I'm hoping that we'll get back on course when we uh when we when this epidemic is over, because we were starting to make some inroads into the uh like I mentioned with the toddlers. Uh adult obesity has started to, has tapered off uh, or 
overweight, I should say, and obesity, is now in 70, I think 73 or 70% of the, of the adult population of the United States is overweight. Uh, but that's tapering off. Now, whether that's because we uh, have gotten better at treating it or watching ourselves, or whether it's just that we reached the total genetic potential for our population, I don't know. I expect some of us genetics, because there are some of us that don't have a lot of obesity genes in us that are just perennially skinny. <laughs> I wish that was me. <laughs> Dr. Klish, this has been outstanding. I really appreciate the opportunity that you've given us to share your insight. And I know it's a, it's a topic that obviously is very dear to your heart, but I think also critical for all of us to learn a whole lot more about. Yeah, well, I think it's, it behooves everybody to learn a little bit about it and do a little bit about it because it affects almost every family in this, in this country. I think it's outstanding, and I think uh, for a lot of people just to – Become, you know, recognize it. If you lose a little bit of weight, start to recognize the food you're eating. You'll be, a, you'll be a lot happier. You can still have that slice of pizza, right? You just have to recognize. You know, there's a big difference between yeah. having one or two. And how about a glass of Guinness? Can yeah. you have that? Well, and you're the doctor. <laughs> Guinness is actually quite low calorie. It's, 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 for for uh, it's like 130 or 140 calories as opposed is to it? yeah. So not not too bad. Not too bad. Well, outstanding uh, conversation. Uh, Good, Doc. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for having me. It was fun. <laughs> Jerry, we'll see you next time. You too, Scott. Take care.